today. It's about wealth, not just investments. Why everybody, including you, especially you, if you're a woman, needs to join the money conversation. Vanessa Martinez is here. We're going to talk about taxes. Yay. But we're going to talk about specifically the best strategy. Is it to owe come tax time or to get a nice sweet refund because the average American family gets about $3,000 at the end of the year. So we'll tell you which one's a better strategy, smarter strategy. Speaking of smart, we need to be teaching our kids what a smart goal is. S-M-A-R-T as in the acronym SMART goal. If you have no idea what that is, don't worry. I didn't either until I looked it up. But Susan Beecham will be waiting for us at the kids' table to explain. All right. Thank you so much for taking time to be here, to listen to the podcast, to share it with a friend that you care about. It's really important that we have at least a good understanding of what our options are. So money doesn't feel overwhelming. It doesn't make us anxious. We have that peace of mind that everything is going to be okay. Before we chat with Vanessa about wealth, let's start the show with no dumb questions. Here we go. No dumb questions. Never be afraid to ask a question, even if you think it's dumb. And if you do and you're too afraid to ask, you you email it to me and I'll ask it, all right? No dumb questions with Erica Cummings, CFP at the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management. Erica has her new podcast too, A Strong Woman for Strong Women. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Okay. So now let's talk about taxes. Yay. Um, That time of year. (laughs) How about I booked my tax appointment for the 16th and I felt like such a rebel. Yes. Well, what, I mean, we have a little bit of an extension for those of us that are going to, oh, so it's great. I know. I was like, Ooh, how naughty of me, even though it's not, I'm still a month ahead, but whatever. Okay. Yes. So I saw that 75% of families actually got a refund last year and Mm -hmm. averaging about $3,000. So that's a good chunk of families who who get that big of a refund. Isn't the rule of thumb, though, to try to break even or not? Has that changed? Well, it really depends on the situation. Okay. So it's exciting. A lot of people think of it like it's free money and really it's just a result of you overpaying your taxes over time. So nothing is really, it's, it's not as if this is money that the government's just happily giving you like a windfall. So we have to be clear that if you're receiving a return, it's because you either overestimated or you were able to perhaps write off some things you did throughout the year that you didn't anticipate. There's kind of three schools of thought. There's obviously finding that perfect fine line where you know exactly how much you owe, which is very difficult to do. And then there's obviously receiving a refund and then there's actually owing. And there are times where each one of these strategies may make sense depending on your situation. And that is my disclaimer on every one of these podcasts. Yes, it is. (laughs) So this is a big one. Okay. On the disclaimer here. So sometimes owing taxes may be a, an okay strategy. I, I say this with a lot of warning because this can really get out of control, but mm. if you can make the money work for you and keep track of what you're going to owe, meaning that you're not going to have to make quarterly payments throughout the year, you're not going to end up in a penalty situation. 
and you're able to hold back some of that money and you're able to invest it and do something better with it than perhaps giving it to the government early, then it may be a strategy that might work for you. Most people don't like owing. Most people complain about owing. Mm -hmm. So it's, this is definitely not for everybody, but there are maybe a handful of situations where this might be best for those people that have substantial cash flow during the year and they're able to save enough throughout the year and have enough money saved to cut that check to the IRS when it's due. And the idea is that as long as you, you don't pay a penalty for underpaying your taxes, you may be able to take that money and invest it during the year or be able to do something with it that would be advantageous. But I can't stress enough that this is not a strategy that would work for most people because you have to be really diligent. It's the same kind of concept as if you escrow your, your real estate taxes versus you paying them outright in September and January. Now, you mentioned you could you could receive a penalty for underpaying in taxes. Mm -hmm. At what point does the government say, oh, you owe too much, we have to charge a penalty? So this is essentially for people who are, let's say they're working and they're receiving commission checks, they're receiving, they're not necessarily W-2'd and they're not receiving paychecks where they go through a payroll system. You have to make sure that you are paying quarterly estimated taxes because the government is not going to say, oh, sure, make $200,000 a year. And we're just going to trust that at the end of the year, you're going to pay us our taxes. So it's mm. for those people who don't have taxes taken directly from their paychecks. And, you know, it's not something that you see coming out on a routine basis that the government's going to say, well, hold on a second. And there's all kinds of rules. You need to consult your accountant on this. But if you don't end up in a situation where you have to pay estimated taxes or there is you know, a certain amount that you have to pay and you can save the rest for later, for some people, this may make sense. But again, I can't stress enough that for most people, yeah. you just want to make sure you're paying. Well, that's a, good, that's a good point to make because there's a lot of people, especially during this whole pandemic, starting mm -hmm. these little side hustles. Right. And selling and, and because that you don't get a W-2 if you're no. going to go that route. So- at what point do you start paying those quarterly taxes if you just had started this in 2020? Like, hey, let me start selling on Etsy or whatever it may be. Yeah, you have to be really successful at that, which, you know, side hustles are side hustles, but they can become, you know, main hustles. And in that case, that's when you're going to want to bring an accountant in and make sure that you're paying your estimated taxes. Okay. Typically in that first year, you're not going to have a problem, but that following year, if you're continuing with that business and you're continuing with that increased income, you're going to have to make sure you're paying along the way. Okay. And that's why in this case, a tax, uh, a tax strategy with a CPA is the best way to go. The, okay. the other option, like we said, is to have this refund come in and for the typical family, it's about $3,000 and that's quite a bit of money. So basically what you're doing is you're giving up money out of every one of your paychecks that you could be using in real time every month. And, you know, depending on the person's situation, they do feel as if, okay, this is a really nice amount of money that I receive around February, March, April. It helps fund, it could help pay off all of your credit cards from the holidays, it could help fund a vacation. So they kind of look at it as a savings program, but keep in mind that you're not earning anything on it. So it's a savings program that you're essentially giving to the government and you're not getting anything back in return. So you're just kind of loaning the government money and then they have to send you back a check. So 
I think that if you can do your best to find that break even point for most people, that's the best way to go. It's difficult, especially depending on how, if your income does fluctuate, but any, anything that you leave with the government, you are not going to be earning any interest on it. So it's, it's money that you feel as if, oh, wow, it's nice to get $3,000, but it's your money. And it's your money that you're giving up for 12 months. And the only other caveat I would say here too, and we haven't really run into this at all on a federal level, but you know, heaven forbid the government shut down, which we have had, where nothing is running, your money is stuck there until everything's up and running again and things are being processed. So this year, for example, they, did, they didn't start processing returns until mid-February because of COVID. If you're owed a return then, or a refund, you, you want to get that as soon as possible. You don't want to be in a situation. So you certainly don't want to be, you know, getting refunds in the five figures, you know, anything above a few thousand dollars. I think now you're really giving up opportunity cost on doing something better with that money. Okay. Awesome. Erica, how can we find you and follow you? You can find us on our website, harmonyfinancialwellness.com. I also have a Facebook page under the same name. And as you mentioned, we have a podcast, A Strong Woman for Strong Women. And you can always email me at erica.cummings at rbc.com. It's about wealth, not just investments. Why more women should be part of the money conversation. Vanessa Martinez is next. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Vanessa Martinez, Managing Director and Partner of the Learner Group at Hightower Advisors. She has a book out, Family Value at Risk, and uh, coming soon podcast as well. So you are all over the place. Welcome. I try to be all over the place. Sometimes <laughs> I get tired though. <laughs> I know. Oh God. Now, do you have do you have kids? Are you dealing with that whole distance learning life right now? I am dealing with distance learning and dealing with kids, both. Love it. How old are they? I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. Oh, okay. All right. So they're on the age where they could kind of take care of themselves. Kind of. That's what they think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now you are very passionate about, obviously, educating people about money, helping them navigate through sometimes very overwhelming conversations about money. But what got you to this point? What made you say, hey, yeah, I want to go into money? I think it's more of the first thing you spoke of, which is just education overall. Hmm. That is very important in my household now and when I grew up. And it's kind of that one thing that no one can take away from you. It's what you learn. And as I continue to educate myself, I realized that one of those pieces that will allow me to continue to grow happened to be finance. Hmm. So I figured if I truly want to help families and I truly want to help my friends and the people that surround me, and I'm educated in this area, why not extend that and help others become educated in this area? Now, when you were a little Vanessa, looking back now, did all your friends say, oh yeah, we knew it coming. It just makes perfect sense that you're in this field. Was there signs of it when you were younger? Uh, I don't know if necessarily in money per se, Mm. but definitely that I would be 
and continue to be, I should say, just that loud, energetic person. <laughs> um, but definitely, I mean, it sounds weird saying it about yourself, but I am a selfless person. I love or I get joy from helping others. Mm. You know, some people do it because you want to help. But I truly feel happy when I feel other people's happiness and that I helped kind of be part of that. You know, I did see that when you went to college in Guatemala, that's when, is that when it, it the, the light bulb went on where philanthropy was now part of who you were? Definitely. That was a humongous piece. So I have immigrant parents and I grew up on one household income. So it was my father working mm -hmm. and I have two other sisters. So it's three girls. We were fortunate that my dad worked for American Airlines. So what this allowed is, so my mother's from Guatemala and my dad is from El Salvador, neighboring countries in Central America, yet they met in Chicago. Oh. <laughs> but having that culture piece for them was very important to integrate it to the girls. And they said, there's no better way than taking you there. So because he worked for American Airlines, we were allowed to have that one trip a year that was kind of covered through standby deals yeah. because he was yeah. an employee. That's what allowed us. It wasn't the economics. It was truly that it was free. <laughs> so we would go to Central America every single year since I was seven years old. And that is what allowed me to say today, I was blessed because I had food every day on my table. Mm. You know, so those things I feel when sometimes when you don't leave the bubble that you live in, you yeah. don't really get to experience and feel that from other people. So I understand that some people aren't as passionate about uh, lending a hand to others, but I feel that that's not because their personality was like that. It's because they haven't experienced. Once you see someone else in pain, it's just, I think it's just natural for your heart wow. to open up and want to do that. So you were raised in Chicago, right? But you went, you chose to, I mean, it was that much, it had that much of an influence on you that you chose, let me go to college here. So yes, it was such an impact. The culture is beautiful. Yeah. Um, the people are wonderful. And this is where the money light bulb kind of, it was also, I pay less for college. Oh. <laughs> so I <laughs> My younger sister is three years younger than me. So the older one, there's a large difference. It's 10 years, but the younger one and I would be in college at the same time. And that would also put a burden on my family just to, even if they can't help economically, knowing that their children have to continuously take loans. As a parent, I now know that the burdens of our children are ours. Yeah. So it just made it easier love the country. I was like, why not? People go abroad to Spain and other countries. Why not go abroad to yeah. Guatemala for my undergrad? Oh my God. Your mother must've been so happy. Heartbroken. <laughs> oh, she was heartbroken. Oh, she, what, wait a minute. I thought she would be happy that you were there in the country she, she grew up in. No, no, because it's like, you know, mama hen, oh. <laughs> she was sad to have her because I left early. So because I mean, back in the day, you could start school a little bit earlier. So I graduated high school at 17. So at 17, I left the house to a foreign country, right? That's a big deal. 
And my yeah. mom's been home with us. So she didn't work. She was home with us. So that was like a piece of her leaving. So it was horribly hard. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. See, now I was thinking, it, was there family there that you could count on? Or, or, I did. There okay, was, okay. I had a few aunts and that's who I lived with. Okay. Okay. Good. That made her feel better, but no, I guess, yes. I guess I can see what you're saying that she was, I would just think that she would tag along. Oh, Hello, but there's a little here. Oh, she could take care of herself. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so fascinating that when you were in Guatemala, um, I read that you were working in a male dominated industry, one of four women in a company of 500. Okay. And then yes. you end up final, uh, career path is in the financial world, which again is primarily, I mean, it's starting to shift but primarily male dominated. So talk to me about that. What lessons have you learned? What advice would you give? I think it's about listening. I know that it makes it really difficult being a woman dependent on the men that are in the room. That's what it kind of depends on sometimes, right? And I don't want, there's a lot of people out there that say you have to be more masculine. You have to be stronger. You have to be, you know, it's be yourself. Whatever yourself is, is what you need to be. But I think the most important piece is having that confidence to be that person, so there was multiple instances, specifically in Guatemala, because remember, the culture is different. Yeah. So besides the fact that I'm in a manufacturing lumber industry, which, I mean, you can't get more manly than that, right? <laughs> uh -huh. um, on top of that, there is the macho that exists that's very strong in just typical, in just that culture overall. So sitting at tables... Um, going back and forth, everyone's views, right? My views wouldn't be taken into account mm. typically, but that is where I learned that I needed to listen, but people needed to listen to me. And that's where it, it's like a quick shift, but I still want to be true to myself. I don't want to be tagged as that crazy bossy lady, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there was times where I have to admit I didn't use my indoor voice. <laughs> so I had to use my outside voice to make myself be heard. You know, I mean, you have to kind of roll with it, right? It just depends on where you are, but you roll with what's coming at you still in a respectful manner. But I mean, there was some times that, I mean, if I have to stand up and bang on the table, I guess I have to, because you wow. will listen to what I have to say. It yeah. will happen. <laughs> now, did that, the first day that you did that, and I'm sure that day still sticks in your memory, right? It did does. Did it almost take you by surprise? Like, holy hell, where did that woman come from? I was fortunate that I think I was born that way. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. But, but that doesn't mean, and this is the piece that sometimes I wish for those women listening, mm -hmm. <laughs> I want you to know that it doesn't mean that because I was born that way, because I've always been that fighter and extra confident, I'm an extrovert, all of those things, right, mm -hmm. that they typically tie to a masculine person, just because I had those doesn't mean I wasn't terrified while it was happening, that's the piece that I feel we need to understand that sometimes we think, oh, it's because men just do it and they don't care. 
believe me, half of them are shaking in their boots while they're doing it. It's just natural, right? It's like that adrenaline rush that you get. So I definitely wasn't surprised. I don't think anyone in the room was surprised, but that's where I just, you just do it, right? It's about taking that next step. We all feel it. It's some of us just don't take that next step. Yeah. And you know what it is. And it was, I can remember it so vividly. The day that I knew my husband and I were looking over our finances and we're like, okay, we are in a, we're in a good spot. We've done what we needed to do. We've, you know, we've, we've budgeted the way we needed to. We are comfortable that day when it's almost like, and not that I, not that I don't need my job because we all need our jobs, but it, it, it wasn't like I, they need me more than I need them. Right. You know, like when you, when you start off in your career, you're like, oh my gosh, I need this job. I, I just can't survive without it. I will do whatever it takes. I will be that yes person. The minute you, and this is why it's so important for all of us to be engaged with our finances and to get to that point, because the minute you feel like, all right, you know what? I will be fine. I'll be fine. Go ahead. Fire me. Or no, I'm not going to say yes to that nonsense that you want me to do. It is such an incredible feeling. And it's like renewed confidence, isn't it? It definitely is. And I agree with you hundred percent building out that one sheet net worth statement kind of opens your eyes. And I agree with you that you might've had that aha moment earlier. If you would have sat down earlier to look mm-hmm. at your finances, right? Sometimes we feel that it doesn't happen until it's an overwhelming amount of wealth to the point where obviously you don't even need to look at it now because you're a hundred percent sure it exists, but how many years previous to this, would you have felt that sense of peace and comfort if you would have just sat down and written down, you know, where that 401k is, where those IRAs are, you know, what illiquid assets do you have? So just writing that down gives that wonderful peace of mind that you're talking about. Is that part of the, because you know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know, especially in the world of finances. There's a lot of that. What is it that you want to get across to women. Like, listen, I know you don't know this, but please pay attention. Ask. That <laughs> is the piece. Say you don't know, right? I feel you go, I've had multiple conversations with multiple ranges, uh, different, you know, culture, wealth of women and their thought process is, Yeah. I go to my advisor. He talks about my investments. I understand half of it. And then I walk mm. out of the room, but I'm like, eh, looks good, right? Maybe I gave you 3 million and now you gave me 3.2. Sounds good to me. Thanks. Bye. That's not what it's about. Ask questions. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Does this affect something else in my life? Who should I talk to? Or even, is there a question I should be asking you that I'm not? That's a question in itself. Do you feel like a lot of your clients do that? Just blindly trust you? Because they're, you know, you, you hear that. What do you hear? You hear either overwhelmed, bored, you know, the conversation is just, uh, just uh, I'd rather be doing something else. That is the reason why certain women haven't joined the meeting. And this mm. is why we're changing it up. So this is like an industry norm that I believe, well, there's two that I believe need to change. One of those being that there's always a man advisor and a man investor at the table. Two people at the table, two men. That's it. That's all we got. Where's everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> so women need to join. 
And I'm talking on both sides. We need more women advisors and we need spouses to join these meetings. But to help in that, this is where my role is, let's talk about wealth, not investments, wealth. And what does that entail? I can ask you, Sandy, right? Do you have your wills and trusts made? Yes. Otherwise I'd be a hypocrite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. When was the last time you reviewed them? Okay. Um, wow. You're really putting me on the spot. Well, see, now you're going to yell at me. Fun. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> is it fun for you? Oh my God. Well, okay. So now you may yell at me about this. So I did a legal zoom. Oh, look at her. She's already like, yes, I will yell at you. I did a legal <laughs> zoom. Do you approve of that? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because taking the step is what's important. Okay. Right. I don't need you to go to downtown of whatever city you live in and hire a thousand dollar an hour attorney to get this done. But I do need you to understand what will happen if you do nothing. Ah, okay. And that's what's important. So yes, have a will. You have children, you need a will. I don't care how much money you have. Who takes care of your children? You want the court to decide who's watching your children? I don't, right? And then a trust that's dependent on, you know, I mean, everyone should have a trust as well, but the more wealth you have, the more options you have to pass on your inheritance the right way, a tax efficient way. We work so hard. That's what you were talking about a few minutes ago, right? You work so hard in life to kind of gradually build this wealth. And in the end, we think about it. We're like, it's for us. Is it? It's for our kids. It's for our grandkids, right? So we're already thinking in the future of who we're going to hand this down to. But you can know everything you want in your mind. If you walk outside and get hit by a bus, nobody knows yeah. what you want. And it's not on paper, right? It's not legal. So you could tell your spouse what you want, but then you tell them, right? You I tell my husband, okay, you know, babe, this is what I want you to do. And then I die. And then he's like, oh, my wife really wanted this, but I married this other really nice lady along the way. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Right. And then, and she happens to have five kids and I love them. They're like mine now. Right. So now I want to, and yes, I get that. Right. And I get that. And I understand that we want to share, but I also want to make sure that at some point, no distance is built between my children, that then they get nothing. I don't want that to ever happen. Yeah, you'll haunt that lady. I could see you haunting her. That's right. For sure, in the middle you of the night. Shouting I at her, that her loud ghost. <laughs> it's happening, it's happening. I'm letting you know now, if you're listening, it yeah. will happen. <laughs> I'm right there with you. We'll team it up. All right, we got it. <laughs> yeah, all right, so yes, we have to do that. Now, a lot of people, think even just saying the word trust, I'm sure so many people were thinking, I'm not rich. I don't have to have a trust. This is where I'm saying all of these other pieces tied to it. And it's not about being rich. It's there's things that you have, right? The house you live in. Yes, you have a mortgage on it. But once you pass, if it pays itself off, there's still assets. You still own something. And if you do have children that you want to pass that on to, there's still a cycle of life that you want to go through. Yeah. And it's, and you want what you want, but if you don't tell anyone and you don't write it down, it's not going to happen. How's your husband with money? 
oh, so now you're trying to attack me. That's what I this wish, became. <laughs> I wish you could all just see her her face. <laughs> yeah. No, you're in the hot seat. So how's he? Is he good? <laughs> Can we play pass or play on this podcast? <laughs> there's a lot of people that struggle with this part of it right how to come together on the same page yeah so true (laughs) and it has and I'm gonna be honest right I mean I put you on the spot it's okay I'm sweating a little bit um it is we did both come up um humbly so having grown so quickly and come to this point in our life, I have managed it. Obviously we think, well, you're in finance, obviously, and which is true. But if what I'm trying to teach is for men to incorporate women in the conversation, I can't be like you said, a hypocrite and say, well, honey, don't worry. I'll deal with it. You know, you help with other things and I'm managing this. So I have incorporated him into it. Even when we were drafting the trusts, He was like, oh my God, this is so many questions. And I was like, yes, but they're important questions. But then this is where I'm saying for men, for women, for anyone listening that feels it's like complicated, Mm -hmm. you have to bring it down to, okay, after that person becomes in charge, who do you want in charge of passing on the inheritance, right? Even questions like that, that becomes an important piece or what age do you think the kids are going to be responsible enough to manage their own wealth? What age should we use, right? Or should we put a clause in there that says this, if this, right? So there's so many things you can do with a trust. It's like writing your own little book. You get to add the pieces that you want and remove those that you don't. So I think it's, I honestly, it was fun. And yes, I have slowly incorporated him. It was fun. She Um, just used fun as (laughs) It is fun. It is if you make I it I want to go to a party with you. Do you have like oh. will parties? <laughs> Text you later. Okay, good. <laughs> but overall, in general, with the finances, because everybody always comes into a relationship with their own specific money story. They yes. manage, they think about money, they have a relationship with money, very unique. So how did you guys, were you a saver spender? Was he a saver spender? Um definitely he's a spender okay <laughs> uh and i'm the saver okay so i mean this is what i'm telling you so uh, roles are getting swapped right from what the typical culture yeah. is yeah but this is where i want to make sure i don't swap that role that i wouldn't have liked to be in if in it was the opposite of that he was the main breadwinner and i wasn't i wouldn't want to be in that position so I try to not put him where I wouldn't have wanted to be. So what's advice that you would give somebody who's struggling with getting their spouse on the same page? You have to take it one step at a time. And I honestly believe finding the right advisor to help you along the way is mm. key. Because you think about it, right? You and your husband can tell your kids, kids, make sure you invest in your 401k as soon as you start working. Kids, make sure you, and you can go on and on and on and you're like a broken record. Nobody cares, mom, nobody cares, dad. But let me tell you, as soon as the the these families come to us and I pick up the phone and I'm like, hi, Sally, I just got off the phone with your mom. Guess what we're gonna do today? We are going to make sure that you participate in your 401k today. And it's gonna oh, be fun. Yep, we're gonna do it. 
pull up that platform that you have at work and we're going to do it right now. Let's walk through it. This is important. Right. And then just, I think, sharing little bits of your story, right? Well, sorry, your first question was actually, how do you incorporate your spouse into it? So that is where I say having that advisor that believes what you believe, right? Because okay. some advisors do believe, okay, Sandy, you came to me with $5 million. I'm going to talk to you and only to you. But if you have an advisor that says, Sandy, this is great. You've done so well for yourself, right? How is your overall family planning doing? And then you're like, oh, my husband, Tom, he talks every now and then, but that, don't worry about it. And then my response should be as a good advisor, well, let's schedule a time when Tom and you have some time so we could go over some of these goals that you have as a family. What things do you want to do together? What do both of you, if I continuously tell you, both of you together as a family, if I'm telling you that I'm going to incentivize you the next meeting, I want Tom at, I want Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I adore you. We got to, we got to do this again. Your book is family value at risk and we can get that anywhere. You normally would find a book, right? Amazon, okay. wherever. And podcast, same thing. Family value yeah. at risk and look yeah. out for that podcast as well. Vanessa Martinez. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was so fun talking. <laughs> You need to be teaching your kids what a SMART goal is, the acronym S-M-A-R-T. First, we got to teach ourselves, right? Pull up a chair. We take a seat at the kids' table with Susan Beecham next. Founder of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham is here, a seat at the kids' table. Welcome, Susan. Nice to be here. Okay, so we asked the kids uh, what a SMART goal goal is s-m-a-r-t and i know a lot of parents are like huh <laughs> so we'll see we'll see what the kids said first okay you guys all know? Everybody's so it's quiet. a goal that's smart it's written all caps s-m-a-r-t so each letter stands for something super magnificent awesome really time consuming <laughs> goal okay um, I think a smart goal is, um, come back to me, come back. <laughs> Do you set goals for yourself at eight years old? Um, not really. No uh, goals? Well, um, I don't really set goals because, like, um, I feel too little. Or do you have any goals that you've yeah. set? I have three currently, and I'm struggling to figure out which one's the most important. Um, the last time I set a goal was recently because I was setting a goal for myself to buy a new pair of leggings. Every time I got money, I would put some of it in my long-term goal account and then some of it into this account, saving up for my leggings. Okay, Susan, what is SMART goal and why is it so important to teach our kids about this? Well, the most important part of goal setting is it helps you remember what you intended to do with your money in the first place. Because a lot of kids will get very excited about saving for something and then they go to the store with you and they decide they're excited about something else. Yeah. And that's a great moment to stop and say, so let's stop and think about this for a moment. This isn't what you were saving your money for, for your goal, right? 
all right mm, is it still important to you is it as important as what you want to buy now hmm reflection <laughs> all of this is delayed gratification kind of stopping them for a moment to get them to think about why they set the goal in the first place and is it still important enough to take what they're so interested in and put it aside so that they can realize the goal that they set in the first place. So, you know, foregoing one thing for another is a great skill to learn. As a yeah, young yeah. adult, foregoing maybe a new car for keeping the car that you have in place, that ability to stop, think, and reflect is what goal setting is all about. But a goal has to be smart for it to succeed. And what does that mean? It has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be achievable. I mean, what, what good is a goal if you can't achieve it? Mm -hmm. It has to be a realistic. So again, achievable, realistic. And then it has to be timely. So you have to put some boundaries around it. It has to be done by a certain time. It has to be a specific amount of money. It has to be, and you'll know this, achievable. It has to be, I want to save $100 by May to pay for my new bike. Okay, it's pretty clear what you want to do. $100, step in as a parent. If it's a five-year-old, $100 is a big reach. It's an 11-year-old, not so big a reach. Um, I love to tell the story of Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was a long runner and he wanted to He wanted to, now I have to look at my notes for this because I want to get it right. Because this is a story you're going to want to tell your kids. Um, he did something that everybody said was impossible. He ran a mile in four minutes, but he didn't accomplish it by going out and running a mile in four minutes. He did it by setting out a goal to run a mile in four minutes. Stay with me. Bannister analyzed the run stride by stride. He knew how long each sprint needed to be. And he had colleagues work with him in a relay, pacing him on each and every section of the mile. So Roger Bannister did run a mile in four minutes. He did the impossible by breaking it down into individual possible steps. Mm -hmm. Those are called goals. And that's why goal setting is such an important skill for parents to teach kids and for parents to help kids succeed with. So parents, if you see a child wanting to set a goal, make sure you put it down in writing. Young kids can draw a picture, older kids can write a sentence. Um, both young and old can estimate the cost. Concrete, okay? Put it up on the refrigerator, put it on their bulletin board in their room, and then incent them. As they save a quarter, match a quarter. Figure out your own incentive program that you're comfortable with to help them get to the success of realizing the goal because success breeds success. Goal setting is a critical life skill that every parent, if they invest the time and the encouragement, I guarantee you it will pay off when your child launches as a successful young adult.
I love it. I love it so much. All right, Susan, where can we find you and follow you and uh, yeah, support you? You can take a look at my blog at susanbeecham.com where I talk a lot about goal setting. And you can find the tools that we've invented to help you practice some of these skills at moneysavvy.com. Perfect. Have a good weekend. You too. All right. There's another episode. If uh, you ever have any questions that you need us to uh, answer in No Dumb Questions, just let me know. If there's a guest you'd like me to get on the show, just reach out anytime. Or if you need help talking to the kids about money, we are here for you. This is your podcast. We raise a glass to each other because we are all proud to say that we are on our way to being financially confident women. Have a great weekend.